Here we are today in 1 Samuel 17, and we have had a, around 15 weeks in the book of 1 Samuel so far, and now we have gotten to the story of David and Goliath. And probably you know that David defeats the giant, and so you may even be thinking, should we just move on? We know the end of this story. We know how this turns out. But I hope that today that we will, and I prayerfully hope this, and I have prayerfully hoped this, that God will reveal more of his redemptive story through this story. That he will choose to uh, provide a bigger story even in this uh, story of David and Goliath. So please turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, and I will read um, not the whole chapter, but a number of different passages from it. Let me pray for us, for our time. Father, thank you for your commitments to us. That we, can, we will clearly see your commitments to your people in this passage. Your faithfulness, your calling, your provision. Your unwavering promises to give us redemption and to provide a Savior, one who can redeem and give us all that we need. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals these things to us, that reveals your heart. And Father, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that's so needed for each person in here, for me. Lord, that you would provide that gift so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word would work in a miraculous way and your heart would be made known. Lord, that we would see even in this story that whether we know the Bible or not, we have heard this story for, for years, many years for most of us. But even in this, Lord, a common story that we would see the gospel so clearly. We would see the God of the Bible so clearly who reveals himself in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would all together, as your church, see our Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 4. Of chapter 17, and I'm going to read through verse 11, and then I will pick up in verse 31 and read through the end of the chapter. So start with me in verse 4, 1 Samuel 17. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits. And a span, and most most uh, translators see that as nine about nine feet nine inches. So just nine feet ten inches, just under ten feet was Goliath, and he is called a champion here because uh, this time period a champion was someone in an army who would come out from the army facing the other army and proclaim that he wanted to fight another man from the other army, and he was a champion because he had done this over and over again and he had won. 
that no one had ever defeated Goliath. And he does this, um, a giant of a man. We'll pick up in verse 5. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which is probably around 125 pounds of armor that he was uh, carrying on him. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his, his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, as we pick up in verse 12, what, we're gonna, what we, we see there is that David is not in war. He's not part of the army. He's at home tending uh, to his father's house, tending to... Um, tending to the flock there as a shepherd, but his father sends him uh, to this battlefield to provide supplies, food for his brothers. While he's there, he hears and sees Goliath do this very thing that he had just done. He does it again. And David is, one, confused that nobody would challenge him, and he cannot believe that this man would defy the armies of God. And so even though he sees a a giant, uh, David is also very interested in defending the Lord's name. And so we'll pick up in verse 31 and read through the end of the chapter, verse 54. When the words, verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. So he made it clear that he would fight the giant. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then, Saul, then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. 
And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, which were most likely Dagon, which we spoke of earlier a few chapters back, and Ashtaroth. Verse 44, The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone stuck into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. So we're seeing this famous story. We think of David as the center of this story, but I hope that we will see this, that God has determined, above all of that, that God has determined to use his anointed to rescue the world. And we're going to see this in a couple of ways. One, by looking at taking dominion in his name, and then secondly, by exercising humility for his glory. At the creation of mankind, we actually read through this in our education hour today, God gave an initial purpose when he said in Genesis 1.26, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So it's God's call to take, take dominion. That's a major purpose major purpose of God's creation of you and me, of mankind. And now when we get to this story in 1 Samuel 17, we've gotten to most likely the most well-known story in all of the Old Testament and and in worldwide probably the most well-known story in all of the Bible. There's Noah in the ark, there's Moses in the Red Sea, there's Jonah in the fish, and then there's David and Goliath that stands above them all. And if you're a student of the Bible... 
You've heard this story over and over again and you've heard it referenced and you were taught it in Sunday school and you've seen it acted out in plays. You've seen it on television. And if you're not a student of the Bible and if you've never read the Bible in your whole life, you've heard this story. You've heard this story in one way or another. David, the young shepherd boy, as we've just seen, defeats Goliath, the giant, who was a seasoned warrior. And he did it with a slingshot and he did it with a stone. That's the end of the story, right? He won. And that story has gone down in history. And yet what we are seeing here is more than just a miracle defeat. It's more than just facing your fears. And it's more than just an act of courage that can spur us on to have that very thing. You can find all of those things here. But at the center of it all is that David sees that something is not right. And that in the Lord's name, he is taking dominion. And actually, we see this before this one-on-one battle with Goliath. Because we see this in verses 34 and 36 when David is in front of Saul telling him, I'm going to fight the giant. And in 34 and 36, which we read just a moment ago, I'll read again. This is what David said to Saul. He said, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him, delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. And so when David watched over the flock, and when a lion came or a bear came and attacked his sheep, he went after it. And this was not simply because David loved the challenge. This was because God had called David to be a shepherd. God had called David to take dominion. And he was going to do it right. And when a lion or a bear attacked, or when a lion and a bear tried to take dominion from David, what we see David telling Saul there is that David said, in the Lord's name, I took it back. I took dominion back. And therefore in verse 36, when he says that Goliath shall be like a lion or a bear... He is saying that he will take dominion back in the Lord's name from Goliath just like he did a lion or a bear. So this is at the center of the story. David has a vision for what is right and for what is good. He has a vision for how things are supposed to be. And this is what is driving this whole story that we're seeing here in 1 Samuel 17. This is so much more than a young shepherd, shepherd boy who has a great deal of courage, that's willing to face a giant. This is David sharing the vision of God, seeing that something's not right. And he says, I'm going to take back dominion because this is what God's called me to do. My youngest child, Elisa, she's very, very particular about her room, especially at bedtime. And if something is on her floor, or if something is in her bed that's not supposed to be, or something's out of place on a shelf, then she will make sure that we get it right to the point of almost panicking. And just get it, get it, please get it. And she doesn't like anything out of place. One night in particular, Elena took a box that was sitting on her dresser, took it out of her room, and Elisa was just panicking in her bed after we laid her in her bed. We didn't know what was wrong. And finally, Elena was able to figure out that she knew that that box was gone. And she was um, not going to be able to sleep or settle down until we put that box back. And Elena put the box back in her room on her dresser and she was fine. And you may think my child is weird now, but I can tell you this. 
that my oldest two children, Ellie and Samuel Jake, can sleep in a ransacked room and uh, have no care for what's all on the floor or if anything's out of place. Nothing is actually ever in place in their room. But Elisa, our, our youngest, knows when something is not right and she wants it made right. She knows when something's out of place. She knows when something is not as, as, as it, it intends to be and she wants it made right and she cannot rest until it's made right. David, sharing the heart of God, knowing who God is, and then having a desire for things to be the way that God intended them to be, does not rest well until things are made right. And so in this, because of this, because of the way that he is sharing the heart of God, he is taking dominion in the Lord's name. And then here's Goliath, this worldly kind of giant. Everyone's terrified of him. King Saul, the one who should be going out to meet him in battle, the one who should be accepting the challenge, the one who should be representing God and fighting for his people, is terrified of this giant who's been raised up by the devil himself, the one who has been placed there by Satan himself to destroy God's people. And the Hebrew language describes his armor where it says an armor of mail. The Hebrew language describes it as an armor like that of scales, which would make him look like a reptile or a serpent standing there facing God's people. And David knows that he has been anointed, not simply to be the king of Israel, but to take, take dominion back, to take care of God's flock, not just sheep, but now God's people. And this call from God to take dominion is not just a call to take control. It's not just a call to be in charge or to gain territory. This is a call to make things right, to make things good, all in the name of God. And then David entered himself into battle. And this was spiritual warfare. Remember, this is, this is a man who was raised up by the enemy himself, the great ancient enemy. And he went, so David went up against the darkness of the world. He went up against God's enemy. Now this leaves us, as I close out this point, I want to mention two things in, in bringing this home or taking, away, taking this away from taking dominion in the Lord's name. First, we must know what is good and what is right. We must know what is godly. My daughter has to know how things are supposed to be in her room before she can get upset when things are not right. We are very, and we've been doing this very specifically in the hour before the worship services. Kevin and Paul and, um, and others have been leading us uh, through this study of social issues and the things that are happening all around us in our culture, how to deal with them. But, what God, but we're learning, what does God think about these things? What does God say about them? How does He feel about them? And that's the first step in, in how to approach them, uh, how to fight back against them, how to take dominion back. Our first, first step is to know what's good. Know what's godly. Know what God thinks. It's why you're encouraged to know and study your Bible. It's why we have studies here and Bible studies. It's why we have discipleship opportunities available. So that we can get to know what God says is good, what is right, 
what he despises, what's against him and his heart. We do that so that we can recognize those things. And so that's our first step. The second thing is to be active in taking dominion. When we know, then we take dominion. And so that, that brings us to this point. What do you see around you? What do you notice that's falling apart? What do you see around you that you know is not right, that lacks goodness, that obviously has a hand of darkness on it? What, what part of your neighborhood needs godliness? And, and, and to get straightforward, is there someone in your neighborhood that's sick, that needs prayer? Taking dominion is doing something like this, going, visiting them, talking with them, and at their invitation, walking into their home and praying in the name of Christ. Entering into that battle. And that sounds simple, but it's serious. Do you see evil going around you, evil going on around you that is hurting people, that is looking to destroy people? God intends for us to confront it. God has not left that for others. He has called His church to confront that in His name. And this is not so that we can be seen or so that we can be brave or that we can be looked on as righteous, but because He intends to rescue people through you. What could, be calling, what could God be calling you to get in the middle of? To in, engage in, to set yourself in that context to pray, to work with people, to help people? What is something that other people are afraid to do that God's calling you to do? And this is in order to establish His name in that place or in that life. We're called to take dominion. The second point, our second point here is to exercise humility for His glory. Now sometimes in a sermon... I may have a point, Kevin may have a point that can stand on its own. And we, so we may have two or three points in a sermon, and each of those points could stand on their own. And we could actually even preach a sermon on just one of those points, and then you probably wish that happened sometimes, and then move on. But in this particular case, point number one can never stand on its own. It always must go with the second point. Because it is critical that as we look to take dominion back, as we look to move forward in the name of the Lord, that we are always looking to exercise humility by the power of the Spirit. Because when, when God begins to work in you, and when people begin to see God work in you, and when you begin to see God at work and doing things through ministry or through your love for other people, it can lead to devastating pride simply because of our humanity. So even when we're mixing God's work with our humanity, it can lead to devastating pride. And David, most likely, even here, the hero of this story, David, because of his humanity, he probably basked in this glory. He probably loved hearing the people cheering his name and shouting for him and exalting him. And yet, we still know that he must have known that just as the Lord delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he knew, he knew that the Lord delivered Goliath into his hands. And we see that that is exactly what happened in the text, that it was God that delivered Goliath over to him as David sought to take dominion. 
And we must see, and this is certainly something that is pointed out over and over again, but we must see, and it must be clear to us that David had no armor. He had no sword. He had no shield. And he only had a sling, a staff, and stones. And for his shot, for his slingshot to kill Goliath, it had to be perfectly precise to take down this giant. And David had to know when he saw Goliath dead, he had to know that this was of the Lord. He had to know, and everyone else there had to know that in in actuality, David's head should have been rolled back to the Israelite camp. That the line of Christ should have been destroyed right there. But God used the weaker to defeat the stronger. And God does this so that he is recognized. So that His glory is made known and exalted. And that brings this question, why, is that, why does God need that so much? Does God need all this celebration? Does God use the weaker to defeat the stronger? The poor to defeat the wealthy? Does He do that because He needs celebration or He is so desperate for attention? When we talk about God's purpose being His own glory. What's the deal with that? And I've had people ask me that over and over again. Why is God so needy for His glory? Why does God need to be uh, made known over and over again? Why does He need that? And that's a good question and it deserves an answer. And I think I can best explain it with this illustration. When I was very young, I was young enough to wear... I had just learned to swim, and my brother, two years younger than me, had not learned to swim yet. But because I knew how to swim, I said, come on, we can go swimming. And I can help you learn how to swim. And I can even get you out of the water if you happen to sink down in. And so we go down to the pool. And I, don't rem- and I, I was in the pool, and I do not remember if my younger brother got into the pool or not, but I do remember my dad running out there, yanking me out of the pool, and I was in some kind of trouble. But I remember telling my dad that I knew how to swim and that I could teach my younger brother and I could carry, swim with him around the pool just like my dad did. And my dad made it very clear that I could not do that, that I could not hold my brother Taylor up like he could, and he would drown. Now, when my dad came in there to intervene and to make it clear that I was not like him and that the only way that Taylor could swim was not by me but with him there, my dad wasn't being prideful. He wasn't basking in his own glory. What he was doing was just explaining a truth. He was making it very clear. So here's what we need to see in this story as God is using His anointed one who is the smaller and the weaker and who has no armor and who has no sword and in all actuality should have never been able to defeat this giant. When God does this, He is making it clear that He has defeated His enemy. And here's why it's so necessary for us to understand that. Because we must increase the glory that God has given here in 1 Samuel 17. We must increase the credit that we give to God in this story. 
And as a matter of fact, we must increase the glory and the credit given to God in every story in our life and in every story in the Bible. It must constantly increase. We must over and over again give God more and more glory. Make sure people see that He's more and more worthy than they have ever known Him to be before. And here's why. Because what happens when David dies? If this story is about David for Israel, what happens when David dies? What happens when you die? What happens when your parents die? What happens when your wife dies? Or your husband dies? What happens when what you count on the most perishes? What happens when you get weaker? When you lose strength? Or when you lose your mental capacity? Here's the answer to all of those questions. God is still God. And when David dies, God is still God. And He must increase in your life and in the lives of those around you. Therefore, as we take dominion in the name of the Lord, and God works and His things happen, which they will as we do that, things will happen. And people are rescued. And as the gospel goes forth, and as the enemy goes down, we must decrease. And you will feel the need to be exalted as we engage in ministry, as we engage in loving others, and as we engage in seeing the gospel go forth. You will feel the need to be exalted. And others will try to do it. We see it in the next chapter of 1 Samuel 18. Others will will begin to exalt David. And he probably likes it. And others will try to do that to you. But we must decrease. And it's the greatest of all paradoxes. God, because here's what it says. God will change the world through you. God will change lives through you. He will rescue the world through you. But you must decrease. He will use you to change eternity. But you must decrease. It's impossible without His Spirit. It can't be done without His Spirit. But if we approach this point number one that's in front of you on the screen, without point number two, it's devastating. It's completely devastating. But as we look to do point number one in the power of the Spirit, and as we look to exercise humility and look for God to increase and increase more and more and more, then it will lead to rescue. And it will lead to God being made known more and more. We see this demonstrated here but we also see it demonstrated even more powerfully somewhere else in the Bible. And it's when Jesus is hanging on a cross. And this is where God does His most powerful act of rescue. And it's also where He does His most powerful work of defeating His enemies. And so how does God use His anointed to rescue the world? Ultimately, it's when His hands are tied. Literally with a nail. It's when His feet are bound with nails. It's when He cannot block the punishment. It's when He cannot sling a stone. 
It's when he cannot dodge punches or whips. He cannot fight back. It's when Jesus is completely powerless, hanging on a cross, and yet he powerfully takes dominion over God's enemies. It's when he's completely powerless that he takes it back. He's broken, and yet he cuts off the head of the serpent. And here's what this means it means we've been rescued even when we don't feel like it. And it means that the great enemy of God, the ancient serpent, has been destroyed even when it doesn't feel like it. His head has been crushed. And so, finished here. Do you believe this report? Do you believe this news? Because this is the Gospel. This is the gospel, and when it's believed, and when it's embraced, and when it is, when we run to this news, and when we embrace it, and we, and when we put it into our hearts, it rescues us, and then it begins the work of rescue in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, your glory would increase in our life. Father, give us the power of the Spirit that will allow us to be a people that are humbled. Father, even right now, when we, when pride is just swelling up in us, when we're longing to make ourselves known, longing to be recognized, longing to even be worthy in Your sight, Father, I pray that we would be humbled by the power of Your Spirit, that we would decrease and that we would long, it would be replaced by a longing to increase Your glory. And may this happen as we take dominion back. As we see that this world is intended to belong to You. And it's intended to have Your name written on it. Pray this in Christ's name.